amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. This week's episode is a listener suggestion. Thank you to Molly for bringing Sabrina's story to my attention. It is listeners like you that keep the podcast going, and I appreciate all the support so very much from all of you. You guys are amazing, especially my awesome Facebook group. This is a story where you will find on true crime and unsolved mysteries forums that people have strong opinions about, depending on their theory. Was this a terrifying stranger abduction? A person watching the family home and waiting to take advantage of a young family? so trusting of their neighbourhood that they left their garage door open. And then this person took advantage to steal a baby, perhaps to raise as their own. Was this what a lot of people and police believe? That one of the parents did something to this little girl and staged a kidnapping to cover up their crime? What this story does is to bring up the conversation of is there a right way to behave when you have a missing child? And if you don't act the way the public thinks you should act, does this point towards your guilt? This is Sabrina's story. Sabrina Page Eisenberg was born June 27, 1997, to parents Marlene and Steve Eisenberg in Florida. Sabrina would be the third child in the family. She already had a big brother, eight-year-old William, and a big sister, four-year-old Monica, a sister that she was identical to. They could have grown up and been mistaken as twins one day. The family were perfect, in the upscale suburb of Valrico, Florida. November 23, 1997, 6.30am. Marlene woke to the sounds of the family's fish tank making loud, strange noises. It wasn't something you could ignore, so knowing she had to be up soon anyway to get the family some breakfast and organised for school and work, Marlene decided to get up and make some coffee. She woke her eldest child, William, on the way because he would always take the longest to get moving. It was at this instance that she noticed the laundry door leading to the garage was open, and she could see out into the street through the also open garage door. Now, the garage door being open wasn't unusual. Marlene and Steve always left this open for William and Monica to come and go as they pleased to play outside. But the laundry door was always kept closed. Not locked, but closed. And this is when Marlene started to panic. It was now that Mother's intuition kicked in and Marlene raced to five-month-old Sabrina's room. Her bedroom was the closest to the laundry door and she needed to make sure her baby was okay. And this checks out for me. Sabrina was the youngest and the most vulnerable given her age. But Sabrina wasn't in her crib. She wasn't in her bedroom and neither was the blanket she always slept with. A handmade blue and yellow blanket imprinted with animals and yellow piping. None of this made sense to Marlene. The night before, she put her children to bed after a movie night cuddled up on the sofa. She checked on all three children at midnight when she went to bed. 
And now only two children were in the home. Sabrina was missing. Marlene ran into her bedroom and woke her husband, and together they called 911. Marlene would then frantically run out of the home and to her next-door neighbours, who she would tell that her baby had been kidnapped. Now, the police got to the home within minutes, and there was just nothing to suggest this was the case. The family's dog Brownie hadn't barked that night to alert Marlene and Steve of anything suspicious. However, Brownie was a friendly dog and didn't always bark when a stranger came to their door. He was the kind of dog where everyone was a friend. It's not like Brownie was this massive, aggressive guard dog. It was nothing like that. But there was no forced entry. However, we know there didn't have to be because the door was left unlocked. All that has ever been found was an unidentified blonde hair, and all the family had brown hair, and a shoe print near the baby's crib, as well as seven unidentified fingerprints inside the house. Search dogs were brought in to track Sabrina's scent, which they did pick up on. The scent led out the laundry door through the garage and down to the fence line of the property before it just stopped. The Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office canvassed the area and questioned the neighbours if they had heard or seen anything unusual, and there had been. In the weeks prior to Sabrina going missing, there had been some attempted break-ins of homes that had small children. Well, it was recorded as an attempted break-in, but it would be the window of the small child's bedrooms that showed signs of tampering, like someone was trying to get in. Thankfully, in these cases, the children were fine and unharmed. But were these earlier attempted abductions, or a case of a would-be thief trying to rob someone in a wealthy neighbourhood? It's unknown either way. On the night Sabrina went missing, one particular neighbour, Pete McDonald, who lived several blocks away, Pete would tell the police at one in the morning his dog was barking, so he thought he needed to go bathroom and let him outside. While waiting for his dog to do his business, the man believed he heard a baby crying somewhere in the distance, and he thought that was strange because none of his closest immediate neighbours had small children at the time. Now, obviously, it could not be confirmed either way whether or not the baby crying was in fact Sabrina. In the official police report, they make mention the home was disorganised and messy, and to them this equated to neglect of the children. However, friends of the Eisenbergs came forward at the time, and they said the couple were outstanding parents, and that's just how they were. That housekeeping wasn't a priority. And I must say, though, three young kids, working parents, I don't blame them that it wasn't a priority. Three kids in general would make a mess with toys. When my kids were little... It was a game in itself to pull out every toy and throw all the sofa cushions on the floor. Having kids is messy, and that doesn't have to mean anything more than that. For the record, Child Protective Services were called in to talk to the older Eisenberg children, William and Monica, to ensure there was no neglect and to maybe see if they knew anything about what happened to their little sister. And these two children would say they were never hit or hurt by their parents, and they had all gone to bed one night and the next morning, they were awoken by their mother screaming that Sabrina was gone. In the hopes there was going to be a ransom demand, 
authorities placed a tap on the Eisenberg home phone. They were told to answer every call in the case it was Sabrina's kidnapper. But only a few days later, a phone call was recorded between Steve and his brother. And during this conversation, he kept talking to his brother just about general life. It wasn't anything important. The Eisenbergs had call waiting, so throughout the call, you can hear the beeping of another call. But Steve doesn't answer it. Well, what's going on down there? I mean, mean, the detectives are doing their job. They're following every lead they have. Every other phone call is the press. Right now, uh, the, the detectives are in a meeting. The local authorities were at a loss with nothing to indicate what happened to Sabrina and they asked the FBI to assist in the investigation. They went into the home and took Sabrina's crib and bedding to be forensically examined. But no usable DNA was found. Police theorised that Sabrina was deceased and only ever considered this to be a search for her remains. Authorities searched woods and lakes, travelling to 49 states and several counties. And with no evidence of a stranger abduction or where Sabrina was, police turned their attention to Sabrina's parents, Marlene and Steve Eisenberg. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Marlene and Steve agreed to take a polygraph. Steve passed with flying colours, but Marlene's answers were inconclusive. She showed signs of deception. Now, I think you all know by now how I feel about polygraphs. I, for one, would never agree to sit for one. They are heavily influenced by how a question is asked, your emotional state, and any medications you may be taking. And because they can be inaccurate, they are not admissible in court. But what they can be useful for is an interrogation method to put pressure on a person of interest or a suspect. And it seems the police were empathetic to this, according to Marlene anyway, and she couldn't understand why this was now being used as evidence of their guilt. Quote, They told me it was inconclusive, and they told me they expected it to be because I was so hysterical and you know everything. My baby was gone, and you know they would expect that. Unquote. But because Marlene's results were inconclusive, this turned the investigation for authorities. They now believed Sabrina's parents had done something to their daughter and concocted the abduction story to cover for their crime. Because of the questioning and the suspicion police were placing on the couple, the Eisenbergs hired a lawyer, Barry Cohen, to help them with the investigators' inquiries. Now, this got under the public's skin, a public that was previously out in force to help the Eisenbergs, with searches and supporting the devastated parents. Now, they looked at the Eisenbergs with the same suspicion as the authorities. 
This became more intense after the Eisenbergs made a public appeal on the local news station, after being encouraged by police to get the word out there about Sabrina. Now, everyone reacts to stress and trauma differently, but at the time, the media and the public thought Marlene and Steve's behaviour was odd. That during the recording, Marlene appeared emotionless and disconnected. But according to Marlene and Steve, they were given a script of what to say and they were coached on what to do and how to act. But because of all of this, it did come off unnatural and cold. Later, the couple says police coached them in this televised plea. Please bring our baby back to us. She needs her mother and her father, and we all miss her and love her very much, and we need her to come home to us, please. To make matters worse, because media scrutiny was consistently on the couple, cameras followed them everywhere. But on one occasion around this time, cameras caught Marlene and Steve walking out to the front of their home with police, and they were smiling at each other. And in the eyes of the public at the time, how could they smile? Their five-month-old baby was missing. And to the public, there was no other option, but they knew what happened to her. That they weren't grieving parents desperate to find their missing baby after all. That Marlene and Steve Eisenberg were guilty in the public's opinion. Now, according to Marlene and Steve, this wasn't evidence of them being carefree and happy and not desperately missing their daughter that one of the detectives had made a joke and they were smiling or laughing because that was the polite thing to do, that this was nothing more than that. Marlene was brought back in by the FBI for a second polygraph. During this test, she was allegedly told that statistically in cases of missing children, of missing babies, that it was usually the parents who were responsible. And after telling her that, they started the polygraph. Again, the results were inconclusive. This only made the police even more sure they had its case solved. At this point, Marlene and Steve stopped cooperating with the police and the media. Which, I mean, I really can't blame them. It seemed that cooperating only made things worse and solidified the tunnel vision investigators had from the start. The police told me that very first day that they thought I had done it. The policeman looked me right in the eye and said, we think you know what happened. Unquote. Police kept trying to prove their theory. They searched a 12-mile radius around the Eisenberg family home. Steve was a real estate agent, and they would go to the homes he had sold recently and got warrants to dig up the backyards of these properties. Police got access to a video taken of Sabrina in the days prior to her disappearance. And this is a footage you'll see in most news grabs from around the time. Sabrina is crawling on the ground while her mother Marlene shouts encouragement. And oh my god, she is so super adorable. It's a really cute video. They showed a paediatrician this video, and they thought it looked like Sabrina had had hair pulled out on the left side of her head, and the area around the baby's left eye was bruised. The authorities also showed the video to a hairdresser who knew Sabrina and the family, and she claimed it seemed as if clumps of hair were missing from the child's head. This was deemed enough evidence for authorities to receive a warrant to bug the Eisenbergs' home. December 13, 1997. An electronic interception device was placed in their bedroom and kitchen. Authorities gathering over 2,500 conversations on 55 audio recordings, including what they claimed to be a smoking gun. Now, according to the police transcripts, Marlene and Steve both said that Sabrina was dead during the tapings. On one tape, authorities claimed Marlene could be heard saying, The baby's dead and buried. 
It was found dead because you did it. The baby's dead no matter what you say, you did it. Steve was accused of replying, Honey, there was nothing I could do about it. We need to discuss the way we can beat the charge. I would never break away from the family pact in our story even if the police were to hold me down. We will do what we have to do. December 24th, 1997. The tapes allegedly recorded Marlene saying, Oh, Steve, I tried to save her and she died. And as we can't confuse them, we'll try it. January 21st, 1998. Investigators allegedly heard Steve say, I wish I hadn't harmed her. And Marlene replying, I just can't take the rap for this. January 1998. The case was referred to a federal grand jury and they began their investigation. Authorities claimed they also caught Steve recorded saying, they don't know the truth, right? Marlene allegedly replying, yeah, so in a way you know that means no one knows that we did it. Steve was accused of then saying exactly. The Eisenbergs were issued with subpoenas to appear before the grand jury. And while they did appear, they invoked their Fifth Amendment rights and refused to answer most questions regarding their daughter's disappearance. But this was enough for a grand jury to return a seven-count indictment against the Eisenbergs, and they were arrested for conspiracy and lying to the police. Marlene and Steve faced up to 30 years in prison if they had been found guilty, but a judge quickly ordered their release because, in actuality, the authorities really didn't have anything. The judge ruled the statements from the paediatrician and hairdresser were misquoted and taken out of context. The judge also noted there was nothing on the tapes that matched what was in the police transcripts of the Eisenberg conversations. Forensic audio expert Bruce Koning testifying he could not make out a single statement of the audio. The Eisenberg lawyer Barry Conan calling the recordings a law enforcement vendetta. You take a listen. This is that supposedly incriminating statement made by Marlene. And now here's what the indictment alleges she's saying. However, despite never being charged and no evidence Marlene and Steve actually did anything to their daughter, by this point so many rumours were spreading around the small town. There were even rumours Marlene was having an affair on Steve with another man, and this other man was Sabrina's real father, and that Steve killed Sabrina because of it. In June 1999, the family moved to Maryland for a fresh start, but their reputation followed them. For a long time, it was impossible for the family to live a normal life. Marlene and Steve couldn't even get jobs. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. (laughs) 
It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 2008. A man named Dennis Byron contacted the police from prison and said that his cellmate Steve Overbeck allegedly told him he had disposed of Sabrina's body. Overbeck allegedly claiming he lived down the street from Tony Tranquillo, an investigator who worked with Barry Conan, the family's lawyer. Authorities got Byron to wear a wire to record his conversations about Sabrina. In this conversation, Overbeck claimed that he was asked to go to the Eisenberg home and pick up a boat with the baby's body inside, that he dismembered the body and dumped the pieces and crab traps near the Courtney Campbell Causeway in Tampa Bay, Florida. Police obviously investigated this and spoke to Marlene and Steve. They both denied knowing Overbeck or anything about his alleged confession. Quote, All you have to do is check public records for boat ownership and see that we never owned a boat. So I mean the story was another one of those fabricated stories to try and disparage Marlene and myself. I know there is always going to be people that think Marlene and I had something to do with Sabrina's disappearance, but we did not. We did not. Unquote. April 2003. There was speculation that a Jane Doe known as Paloma Unknown may have been Sabrina Eisenberg. Paloma was a two-year-old infant that was found abandoned in May 1998, six months after Sabrina disappeared. Paloma was brought from the Mexican border into McAllen, Texas, by a teenage girl claiming to be her mother. She'd been brought to a registered nurse at a migrant clinic. The mother telling the nurse she could no longer care for Paloma and didn't want to care for her anymore, that she wanted to give the little girl up for adoption. Paloma was described at the time as being 2 foot 10 and 23 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. She had a small scar below her belly button. Paloma now lived with a nurse's sister and her husband in Pontiac, Illinois. They wanted to formally adopt her, but without a birth certificate or without knowing her true identity, it was impossible. Instead, they have been allowed to remain her guardians. DNA was tested and compared to a sample police had of Sabrina's, but it wasn't a match. Even though Paloma and Sabrina do look eerily similar, I can definitely see where they thought they may have found Sabrina. Both were incredibly adorable babies. But unfortunately, Paloma remains unidentified. November 2018, there was a break in the case. Two women who were the same age and had the same birthday as Sabrina contacted the Eisenbergs. Both were claiming they were the missing girl. One woman in particular seemed promising. She said she had no baby photos before six months old. She also had a fake social security number and she truly believed that she was Sabrina. Both women were given DNA tests. It was a painful six-month wait for everyone involved, not knowing if Sabrina was found. Unfortunately, these tests were returned not a match. It wasn't meant to be. Marlene and Steve no longer wish to talk about what happened that day. However, they do believe that Sabrina is still alive and will one day be found. The Eisenbergs often refer to themselves as Sabrina's birth parents, and they believe that she's been raised by someone else. Marlene told Fox 13 shortly after the 25th anniversary that cases such as Melissa Highsmith boost their faith that they will find Sabrina. Quote, 
It gives us continued hope that Sabrina is still out there and that she'll do a DNA test and we will find her. Unquote. And Melissa Highsmith was reunited with her family 51 years after being abducted after doing a 23andMe test. And this is what Marlene and Steve are hoping happens with Sabrina. They should do an online ancestry test and discover who she really is. Marlene and Steve have their DNA on several familial genetic sites, including Ancestry.com and 23andMe. Steve has said the one thing they've always tried to do is to keep the focus on their other two children, to give them the best childhood and life they could, despite what happened. They made Sabrina up her own room when they moved, full of clothes she'll never wear and toys she'll never play with. William and Monica are now in their 30s. William is married with a three-year-old son named Nathan, a little boy who loves to play in his aunt Sabrina's room, an aunt he'll likely never meet. At the time of her disappearance, Sabrina Eisenberg was five months old. She was two foot six and 20 pounds with blue eyes and brown hair. Although her hair may have lightened to blonde as she grew older, much like her big sister Monica, who she resembled a lot. Sabrina has several marks in the shape of the letter Y below her right shoulder. However, these may have faded as she got older. She was last seen wearing a lavender sleeper with a floral pattern a handmade blue and yellow blanket with imprinted animal images and yellow piping was also taken with Sabrina. Maybe this was kept as a keepsake. Maybe she has given it to her own child, and an adult Sabrina has no idea this is a clue to her true identity. If Sabrina is still alive today, she would be 26 years old. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Sabrina Eisenberg please contact the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office on 813-247-8200. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.